Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow, and we welcome back to the show dear friend Kellyanne Conway, former Trump senior counselor, campaign manager to the Trump-Pence campaign, founder of the Poland Company years ago, now runs KA Consulting, LLC. And her great new book, Here's the Deal, a memoir. Here's the Deal, a memoir. Kellyanne Love, uh, thank you for doing this. We appreciate it, as always. Sorry. And... So what is the deal? You know, I was, I was talking at the opening with Biden, speaking to the Democrats, uh, I guess at the Democrats' house in Baltimore, telling the usual pack of, un, I call them untruths, one after another. <laughs> I know. Uh, but then again, I wonder, I, I well, here's the I like what the House Republicans are doing. They're moving forward on a number of very important fronts. I'm just not sure about the national presidential running Republicans. And I uh, may have thought we'd start there. Your observations. Larry, 2023 should be looked upon as a more important year than 2024. Mm -hmm. And it's for the exact reason you just intimated. We need to, as a party, as a movement, as free market capitalist proponents, to be talking about all the great policies that can be turned around that Biden has ruined and that the Republicans in the House and in our state legislatures can be putting forward so that people see a dime's worth of difference between the two parties. Mm. You know, Larry, looking back at, at the midterms, we can, we've talked about that plenty, but one thing that really sticks out to me that's a cautionary tale for the Republicans in Congress now and the presidential candidates in 2024. There were about 10% of self-described independents who said they were somewhat unfavorable towards Joe Biden. Now, in fairness, 41% were strongly unfavorable going into election day. 10% said they were somewhat unfavorable. In nine out of the 10 swing state U.S. Senate seats, those independents went for the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate. The mm. exception was Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. And I can tell you why. They had distanced themselves from the Democrats. They think the Democrats don't have great economic policies. They're not for energy independence. They're ruining our school children and our schools. They're not, they're not really doing what's right on crime and the border. But they didn't hear from enough Republican candidates something that was so compelling, persuasive, memorable, and measurable, really meaty, that made them say, I feel comfortable switching horses. That's the, te- that's the last mile mm. in politics. The last 10% you need, to, you need to gain by going out there and boldly saying, we are the party, we are the movement for lower taxes, fewer regulations, energy independence, a strong, honest economy, and protecting three groups. Not just the job seekers, not just the job creators, but the vast majority of American households, job holders. Larry, I think the presidential primary for the Republicans will not be decided by race, by gender, by age, by competency test. It's going to be decided by who has the best, most accessible, most relatable, and most doable plan on the economy. Mm-hmm. Dead stop. I don't hear people talking about You know, we all know President Trump did it the first time. He can do it again. Nikki Haley's not talking about it. She made a terrible statement yesterday. I thought at CPAC, this nonsense about woke is worse than a global pandemic that's killed over 20 million people, over 1 million Americans. Ron DeSantis is a great governor of Florida. He's talking about woke and COVID. Mm -hmm. Where are the economic plans Mm -hmm. that we can read and look at the way you and Donald Trump and Art Laffer and David Malpass and Mm -hmm. Steve Moore and Mm -hmm. Steve Forbes did at the New York Economic Club in September 2016, it's part of how Trump got elected. People had something to look at and believe in. You know, I, I look, I totally agree. Uh, I've said this to a number of people, uh, pundits, uh, but also, you know, elected elected House members, senators, 
get back on the economic message. The polls show that people feel uh, worse than they did a year ago. They're less wealthy, less in, less uh, income. Real wages continue to fall. We, you know, Trump successfully, I think, Kellyanne, you and Trump and others. Look, it's a the GOP should be the party of the blue collar middle class working folks, uh, but they're not feeling. You know, they're not feeling it because they're working. You you said this on the TV show. They're working, in some cases, two and three jobs, but they're still losing ground to inflation. Inflation okay. is a function that we spend too high, regulate too high, and tax too high. Why is that so hard? That was Trump's message back in 2016. You're right. September 2016 at the New York Economics Club. He previewed it the month before in the Detroit Economics Club. I was with him both times on the plane, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not hearing it, even from him. He's had some interesting things, and going to uh, to uh, uh, Palestine, Ohio, I think was very, very, very clever. And his polls are going up, probably maybe because of that. I don't know. But I'm not hearing that New York Economics Club speech or, you know, something to build on it. No, I hear you. I think that President Trump will get a, get around to that, and I think they're all going to need to get around to that for many reasons. Uh, and, and if you have an economic plan, you're respecting the voters, and you're also reflecting. You're respecting the voters, and you're reflecting what they are telling every single pollster for years now is the most vexing and perplexing issue. It's a rising cost, but it's also rising crime. Larry, let's revisit an important point. You're the economist here, but even public opinion agrees with the economist. It's not that jobs... I think employment numbers and jobs are no longer the chief metric by which people judge their own ability to make ends meet, their own ability to meet what they see as increasing unaffordability of everyday life. So there are plenty of jobs out there. I don't even know why the jobs reports are as relevant anymore. What people can't do is buy eggs Mm. and gas and, and pay the utility. So years ago, if you had a job, if your grandfather had one job, if my grandfather had one job in the house, it was enough to to support the family and have a nice station wagon vacation, right? Every year, that's it. Now people are saying the job's not enough, and we are discouraging people from work. On the one side of the ledger, we're not encouraging able-bodied people to work. And on the other side of the ledger, we're discouraging people who are working, who would like to work, from thinking it's a good deal because of the rising prices. And now we have a president, Joe Biden, the vice president, Kamala Harris, and an entire Democratic Party, that literally lies to us by saying things are getting better. Mm. Prices are coming down. Uh, the press secretary, whatever that's worth, for whatever her words are worth these days, she at one point was bragging about the, the fact that gas went down a nickel or 10 cents mm. or 20 cents. That's not the way to soothe what are real fears and frustrations for a country that still says the economy is the number one issue. I'm Look, I love what the Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans are doing. I know folks are they're focused on Jim Jordan and Jim Co- James Comer's investigations. That's fine. But don't miss what's happening in energy and commerce and budget and ways and means. And what so many of these great committees are trying to do to, to yes, put their finger in the, in the flooded well, in the flooding well of Joe Biden's terrible policies, but also to advance great center right ideas that mm. Americans can believe in. I try every time, you know, and we've had all the new committee chairmen. Uh, and they're yep. pretty good. Ways and means, budget. Uh, I just had Kathy McMorris Rogers on, and she's working towards uh, reopening the spigots for oil and gas. Uh, you know, they're they're getting it done. But you're right. You know, it's your point about jobs is not the key metric anymore. It's a really 
important and interesting point because you're you're saying because the cost of living is so high that the job itself doesn't guarantee security. Is that is that the basic idea here? That's exactly what it is. doesn't it doesn't um, guarantee security. It doesn't. So I say security, affordability, fairness, education. Those are the four buckets right now, the four major themes. And let's just talk about security and affordability with respect to the jobs. People are saying, I still feel economically insecure. I still feel like everyday life is increasingly unaffordable. I can't keep up with the bills. And these are not folks living beyond their means, Larry. Mm. These are not the folks who are, are looking to meet the expensive luxuries that are what I would say more discretionary spending. They're talking about groceries and gas. They're talking about rent, utilities, and mortgage. The Washington Post within the last six months ran an article I still can't get over. They talked about the fact that one of the fastest growing groups of new homeless in our country are single moms who have a job. Mm. Let me repeat that. Just like the one who raised me, God bless her. Single mm. moms who have a job. Mm. Now, if you were a single mom with a job years ago, yeah, things were tight, but you can figure it out. They get behind on the rent a couple months and they're temporarily homeless. Mm. These landlords, they, they could not, they, they can't afford to give any more forbearance by and large, Larry. They weren't allowed to do it during COVID, as you know, for years. So the job is no longer a metric because people say it's unaffordable, it's insecure, and it's one more thing. It's that um, it's unfair. Now we, now we have an administration that is telling the plumbers and pipe fitters, you should be paying for the student loans of the doctors mm-hmm. and the lawyers. We're, we're, telling, we're telling Americans it's fair. You know, they're saying it's not fair that four and a half million people just walk over the southern border and compete with us for these jobs. By the way, is it really fair to the people who came here too? Where are they? We started to see all the articles about 13-year-olds doing migrant labor, you know, doing hard labor here or labor here in this country. So we really need a whole reset of the way we think about the economy. And I would say start it through the eyes of the individual American worker. Mm. And I want to go back to something I said earlier. When Mitt Romney was, you know, at his convention in Tampa 10 years ago, Larry, you didn't build that. You didn't build that. He was for uh, entrepreneurs and job creators. I think that's wonderful. The Republican Party and it should make sure, particularly economically, they have those job creators as a core constituency. And then, of course, we're here for the job seekers. But I am here mostly for the vast majority of households in every state, in every congressional district, in this con- across this country, job holders. They're the folks who we're, we are clo- this month will be the 13th anniversary of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. What about when you talk about job holders? What about all the people who were promised by a president? You can keep your plan. You can keep your doctor. Quote, everyone will have insurance. Larry, that's just not true. That was one of the biggest lies a president has told its citizen or its people in, in years, his people in years. And that's also what the job holders are saying. They're worried about pensions, saving for retirement, saving for a rainy day, a sunny day, getting those health care benefits, having a little 401k through the employers. These employers, many of them are cutting back on all of that. So that's also, when you think about the job, the job used to also be a springboard for future security, not just security right now to make the bills this week, this month, this year, but future security. People feel the job is no longer the springboard for all of those benefits that it once was. You know, um, that brings up Biden has said he's going to veto the ESG bill. Uh, we've got 150 million uh, investors, most of whom are retirees, 401ks, directly or indirectly pension funds, including state pension funds. And they've opened the door to investing based on environmental considerations or equity and diversity uh, or inclusiveness. 
What about rate of return? <laughs> was that the, yeah, that was the ERISA Act back in the mid 1970s. Actually, it was Jacob Javits of all, if you go back to that. Of all people. Of all people. But I'm just saying, you had, um, 50 something Democrats voted with Republicans in the House against, uh, ESG. Uh, you had several, couple of, uh, couple of Senate, uh, Democrats. And Biden says he's going to veto it. Now that's a security thing. You're, that's, I think, yeah. one of the things that doesn't get to health, but it's, it gets to your retirement. That's a big mistake. Right. Republican, I mean, I, but here too, uh, the House members have been better on this than the, than the national people. I mean, look, I, you know what? We're, I'm going to take a break. I hope you give us another 10 minutes. I'm so tired of woke. All right. I, I agree. Cancel culture, woke, it's awful. Okay. But it's ad nauseum. It's all they, it's all Ron DeSantis talks about and others. Not interestingly so much Trump, but I, what did she say? Um, uh, who's a what's from South Carolina said yesterday at uh, CPAC? She said woke is what? Woke is the worst thing. It's as bad. It's worse than COVID. She said there's a pandemic worse. There, there's, yeah, something. I'll get the quote when we come back. Yeah. She got skewered for it. a pandemic. You know, worse than COVID, and it's called woke. You know, woke is worse than the pandemic, and no, it's and not. And that's just not. We, we can't do that. And she read it from the usual binder, which I don't like as, <laughs> as a woman in leadership. You ah. should be able to say these things ah. without uh, without ah. laminated. Ah. But that also means, ah. Larry, it ah. wasn't off the cuff. It wasn't spontaneous. Ah. I mean, it had to be vetted. So well, we know. I don't like that stuff. I like the no notes, no net stuff that you and I do. Boy, isn't but that anyway, no, isn't that the truth? But there's a long and, story behind that, Kellyanne Love, and you and I both know that. Yes. But let's not yes. go but there. I'll, <laughs> but I'll come back. Let's talk a little bit more about the DeSantis agenda. I think yes. it's important because he's done a fabulous job. But even when he was with the police officers, which was great, a couple of weeks ago, he did like a three-city tour. He was standing with police officers. I thought that was fantastic. But he said something to the effect of, you've been affected because of the woke agenda. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. No. They've been affected by early retirement and people spitting on them and Black Lives Matter right. being against the police and, and fry them up like bacon and no cash bail from, from none other than our vice president of the United States and looting and these folks feeling like they cannot do their job. Right. They're not respected and accepted on. and resourced. Hang on. I got you got it. It's great. Kellyanne Conway who you can hear, folks, is the smartest political person in the country. And she has been for a very long time. She ran the Trump campaign in 2016. She's got the uh, Kellyanne Consulting Company now. And a great book. I mean, we've got to sell some books here. Here's the deal, a memoir. I've read the book. It's a terrific book, Kellyanne Conway. I'll be right back. I'm Kudlow. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. And Conway was Trump's campaign manager in 2016. She's an old and dear friend of mine for many decades. Her latest book, Here's the Deal, a memoir. Kellyanne, what did DeSantis say to the cops? Well, he was with police officers two weeks ago, which I thought was smart of him and great for them. He went to uh, three different cities. He skipped over East Palestine, Ohio, but he did go to three cities, and he stood with law enforcement, making sure he knows, as a prominent governor and voice in this country, perhaps presidential candidate, that he backs the blue. But I thought it was a little off message when he kept talking about woke, woke, woke. There's no question that their hands are literally tied uh, in their ability to do their jobs as police officers. Many folks feel that way now in their industries. 
But I thought he missed the opportunity to really dig into what's really vexing these police officers and our law enforcement. They're not adequately resourced or adequately respected. And so many of them, I looked at the statistics, Larry, in the last few years, the early retirement, the number of people who thought they'd want to go into law enforcement no longer do. And by the way, that's whether you're a police officer, firefighter, border patrol agent, everything they go through. They were accused of uh, whipping migrants at the border. I mean, that's that's our, mm-hmm. our law enforcement also. And and I thought he missed an opportunity to talk to them. Uh, you know, he's a blue-collar guy from outside Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. really connect with them that way. But every time he talks, you know, even the interviews with his book, uh, he's saying Florida is the place where woke goes to die, and he said that in front of the police officers. Those police officers are making huge sacrifices of their physical safety, their privacy now, and let's face it, their economic wherewithal. They can be making a lot more money in private security probably. We need to encourage law enforcement to keep doing their jobs, populate new generations into our law enforcement, and not make them feel that they are disrespected and not generously resourced. So, look, woke's important. The cultural wars, cultural wars are real. What, what, what's happening with the curricula in our schools mm. is a disgrace, Larry. These mm. people went from masking and locking down our kids right to the curriculum. They never even stopped and said, what about the lost learning, the declining test scores, scores the mental health challenges that Gen Z tells us, they're telling pollsters, mm. are affecting them. I get all that. But that's not going to win a presidential race. That's not going to bring along independent voters. And I would argue with you young voters, we're about to go into the field next week with a big, huge poll of young America. Mm. I'd be happy to come back and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I want to do that because we Republicans lost young people by 28 percent in the midterms. We lost to Joe Biden, an old liberal white Mm. guy who's been in Washington for 50 years by 26 points among young people. Why is that? Why that's just extraordinary. Well, I'm going to find out. Yeah. I'm going to find out. Yeah. And I, look, I think it is. It had something to do with jobs this past time, no question. But it had a lot to do with, it has, and I'm pro-life, it had a lot to do with, um, mm. it has a lot to do with no answer on climate change. I think a, a stereotype, but the Republican Party cannot wait for the young to get old and the single to get married to find mm. new voters. Mm. We're going to have to do that now. But I'll tell you what, the Democrats don't deserve young people. They do nothing to earn their vote. And you start to see a realignment politically among Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, African Americans, more of them coming over to the Republican side, more of them coming over because of the economy, because of education, because of crime. Let's do that with young people. Let's see what will animate them and engage them. Look, my message to the politicians is you think it's great to enrage people to get their votes. I suggest you should engage people to get their votes mm. also. Mm. got to be a balance. Enrage them and engage them. If you engage them, you respect the intelligence of the voter, Larry, and you come out with policy prescriptions that you know they can handle. People are starving for solutions. Stop talking about the problems. Everybody knows the darn problems. Lead with specifics and solutions. That's the way you engage the voter's mind. Democrats, by the way, shut down economic opportunity for young people. I mean, there's a laundry list. I covered this a couple nights on the TV show this past week. Just the sheer, you cannot believe, but in two years, Biden has generated over 550, 550 separate new regulations, totaling something like $500 billion, and it's all against business. Now, how the hell, yeah. you know, it's like Jack Kemp 40 years ago. The Democrats love employ employment. They just don't like employers. <laughs> the Democrats like well, working folks. They just don't like the people that hire them. I mean, young kids should understand that. that. Huh? 
I'm going to amend that. I'm going to amend that 40 years later. I think the sequel for Jack Kemp, God rest his soul, who we both worked with. Yep. I think he. I don't think they like employee employee employees anymore either. I mean, well, they're they're so bad for the working class. And I want to say this about Democrats and young people: they don't deserve their votes because they think they're buying votes with this um, student loan forgiveness stuff. But they do nothing for those who have student loans or don't have student loans to feel secure in it with employment, to feel secure with getting their first home, getting out of personal debt, getting out of college debt, um, going and just acquiring the natural accoutrements of an adult life. I like to say life interrupted, the kids are not all right. You, if you look at the statistics, Larry, it's going to take that much longer for first-time home buyers mm. to get that first step. They've been, they've been whacked with low inventory and higher interest rates now. You've got a Democratic Party that's not creating an incubate, an economic incubator for young people to feel secure. I guess they want them to be government dependent, but that's part of why I want to do this research project because I want to see what the stereotypes are, what the beliefs are, what this, I want substance over symbolism. I think the most important election in the last couple of years was, it happened in Chicago this week. Mm. Lori Lightfoot, it's, mm-hmm. it's sure it's because of crime. It's because she's pugilistic, all of that. But also I think the voters said substance over symbolism. You can't just run around saying, I'm the first this, I'm the first that. If your policies don't make me feel safer or economically prosperous. She was a victim. She was a victim of gender, gender, sex, and color. It had nothing to do with crime or the economy. She was a victim. And the voters spoke up. And she got 17% of the vote. (laughs) 17%. I I should have tossed my hat into the ring. 17. 18%, Larry. (laughs) 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 What did the, uh, what did the, what did Nick? Nikki Haley say about woke though. What was it? What was that line? She said yesterday at CPAC, reading from a lamb. I've seen her read this way too. And she's a smart woman who doesn't need that damn binder. Right. Um, she she said that there that woke is 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 worse than the pandemic. Oh, yeah. In other words, it's, it's an affliction. It's a disease that's worse. We don't need to do that, and we don't need to comp- make odd comparisons. This is when candidates are trying to reach for headlines. Yep. And and bylines right. and it, that that just doesn't go. And if she could just talk about, she's yet to Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway is the smartest person in the room by far. Kellyanne Conway. I'll just keep repeating her name, folks. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back after this.